You know how when you give dogs medicine, you have to hide it in peanut butter? That's kind of how I am. I want to shove vegetables into my body, but I want to hide them amongst fruit and amongst nut butters and halva. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. It was really fun having Molly Ye join me in the studio in an absolute riot of an episode. Molly is legit one of the funniest writers and guests we've had on, and we get into all sorts of topics. We talk about what makes a great Hallmark Channel movie and theorize how she will one day possibly star in one of those films. We also talk about Little House on the Prairie, living her best life in North Dakota, and we dive into her truly incredible new book, Home is Where the Eggs Are. What a fun conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Molly A., welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's so lovely to be here. Finally, we meet. We've been exchanging emails for years. Yeah, and I've been a longtime admirer of your work, so this is so much fun. Well, it's mutual, and I think your book is so well done. Many levels. It's extremely smart with the recipe development. We'll get into many of those. It's extremely funny. You come from a point of view that's, you know, upper Midwest, and that's where you live in North Dakota, but you have like this real sense of humor and, and whimsy with the way you write. And it's, it's very nice. You use a lot of proper nouns, which I love. I, well, I, I, you know, have maintained the, the Jewish comedic tradition, but also a lot of the jokes, um, some of them have been slipped in by my husband too. And, and I just steal them, but no, it was truly such an enjoyable process to write this because it wasn't my first book. So I felt like I had a loose understanding of um, all of the the logistics of putting together a book. And just having gone through the process before opened up so much creative energy in the writing process that I felt like I was able to access for the first time since really I put a pause on blogging and it um, felt so just good to Mm -hmm. be able to sit and write and pour my heart into these headnotes and stories. And I I really had just an enjoyable time. Yeah, the joy is is clear and you clearly put the time into it. And so you were writing this in your in-laws basement. Is that right? I was. They're partially finished basement with all of the old dolls and Barbies and Happy Wait, Meal they're, toys. They're all staring at you, the Barbies and the dolls, while yeah, you're writing this? Yeah, and they're this. saying, don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like Cinderblock. I'm thinking like Space Heater. I'm thinking like Malibu Barbie vibes. Have you have you been there? You, you literally just landed on that. Um, that's what it was. I mean, there were, aside from the dolls, there were no distractions. Yeah. I had no food. I had mm-hmm. a jar of almond butter and yeah. pretzels and, and I didn't even surface to go get snacks most days. So I barely ate and I was just running on adrenaline because I was having so much fun writing this. And, uh, but yeah, the, the physical setting was. Yeah. 
Interesting. But it, it produced a great document, so it's it's almost like method. You're doing method. <laughs> um, but I do want to know, before we get to the book, you are opening a restaurant right now, and it's cool to see because very few food writers um, do that, like open restaurants. So tell me about Bernie's. So Bernie's celebrates Midwest cuisine and ingredients. We live in the Red River Valley, which has such incredible rich farmland, which I think not that many people think about. They think, you know, okay, we're north of Fargo, so we just get a lot of snow. Mm. But during the growing season, we have amazing potatoes and corn and wild rice and beans. Um, So much Mm -hmm. good cheese. Of course, our neighbors, Wisconsin, have so many uh, great cheeses and everything. And we wanted to showcase that because at this point... If you go to East Grand Forks and you want to try a hot dish or a cookie salad or Mm -hmm. things that um, are staples in the region that um, are part of this uh, culture, which has a lot of Scandinavian influence, you have to invite yourself over to somebody's house for dinner. There are very few places that truly celebrate um, that type of cuisine. So we wanted that space. and, And I've always, for as long as I can remember, dreamt of menus, putting together menus. Yeah, of course. You're a food writer. You lived in New York. You love restaurants and you write about it well in your book. And it's like, I'm thinking this is like the Favakin, like this like remote restaurant that we're going to try. Oh, I should be so honored. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm, I I feel like the the styles are different, but what, what's it going to be like? Like, and you're going to have people traveling from all over the world to East Grand Forks. Oh my gosh. That'll be so much fun. I mean, I'm just excited to meet people because right now it's you know, I'm behind my computer or, um, you know, talking to people through my books. And if I'm giving people food, they're, they're having to make the recipes themselves and I don't get to be there with them Mm -hmm. while they're eating. So I'm really looking forward to that interaction. Um, and the space itself is this great historical space. Uh, formerly it had a restaurant there that had been open for almost a hundred years. It was a huge place during, um, uh, prohibition Mm -hmm. because we're on a river, we're just south of Canada. Oh, yeah. So, of course, there's going to be... Bringing down that whiskey. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Al-, Al Capone apparently hung out there. They called it Little Chicago. But so there's a lot of history in the space. It's a big space. So we will be doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then ideally some events. And yeah. there's a basement that we haven't totally tapped into yet that we ultimately speakeasy, want to. Password kind of bar. Uh, are speakeasies still cool? No, they're not. They're That's not. a terrible no. idea. Let's strike that from the record. <laughs> are you, So how are you going to work? Are you going to be working like front of house, like green? Meeting guests? So I will tell you. So we, we soft opened on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I was there at 5 a.m. Yeah. baking scones oh, and cool. a pistachio loaf. And just I, I was I was working with our baking team, which is amazing. Um, and I had so much fun working in the yeah. kitchen again because I used to work in a bakery. So I did that in the morning and then I put together the pastry case, which I um, have been dreaming about. And and then I got to go out and talk with the customers. That's what I think they're going to want. And like, it's cool that you're working back of house, front of house. I mean, it's such a change, I would imagine, from making television and writing cookbooks. I mean, leaving my house <laughs> is a change. <laughs> Let's talk about television. Um, Girl Meets Farm is in uh, your 10th season. Um, we just wrapped our 12th season. Nice. Uh, 12 seasons. Wow. Yeah. And I've always told, I'm not a big goal maker. I've always told myself, I want to make it to a bat mitzvah season. Oh, my. <laughs> Are you going to celebrate and have a bat mitzvah episode? I really want That's to. Cute. Yeah, but it. we should be finding out soon about that. But, um, yeah, it's it's been so much fun. The what do you crew, like about making TV? I love how 
efficient it is mm-hmm. to be able to show things like pleating dumplings and frosting cakes and things that I found very challenging to describe writing out recipes mm-hmm. and for my blog or books or whatnot, um, showing it in video form, which I guess I feel silly saying that now that Instagram has completely transitioned to video, but with Ugh, the show, I mean, gosh. we don't have, let's not go there. Let's yeah. not go there. Digital I will say, strategy conversation, Peter Kafka style. We don't have to do that. Um, I mean, working with the crew, it's a family. We have the same uh, director of photography that we've had since season one. Nice. So many of the crew members come back season after. They know more people in Grand Forks than I do. It's it's their second home. And so working with that crew, also being able to make a lot of food that is not often on Food Network. We just did mooncakes for um, the Mid-Autumn Festival. Mm-hmm. We did one of my favorite episodes last season was kanji, and there was a black sesame babka, and my dad came, and we did jidan bing, and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of very special recipes that are very personal to me that I've been able to call my grandma about and get her recipes for them. And, and, and we've really been able to do a lot of foods that growing up I never saw on Food Network. And so they Food Network has just been so supportive in in that. Yeah, they clearly are behind you. And I and I I gotta give them credit. They've picked the right I mean, they don't always pick the right people, but they've picked someone who's awesome and very cool on camera. And I I know your your career is only starting. Let's talk about home is where the eggs are. I, I really mean this this is one of my favorite books of the year. I'm wow. gonna quote you. <laughs> You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> I'm gonna quote you. Everyone who has ever told you that marriage isn't for them has never used a Vitamix. <laughs> Good line. I mean, Good line. I right? <laughs> that's what I remember about my wedding was Marsh and Bob Boxer Unboxing. gifting us a Vitamix <laughs> and then all of a sudden learning how good a smoothie could be. I asked that question or I, I, I posed that quote because you have a great section in the front of the book where it says like what I cook in a week. And it's like so transparent and, and real. And there's like a smoothie every day. Like pretty much. Mm-hmm. Talk about smoothies because uh, I, I love that you're into smoothies. Cause okay, so you know, are. you know how when you give dogs medicine, you have to hide it in peanut butter. <laughs> yes, that's kind of how I am. I want to shove vegetables into my body, but I want to hide them amongst fruit and amongst nut butters and halva. Yeah. Like my halva smoothie has secret cauliflower in it, and same thing with um, Bernie. I have not fully like told her what's in her green smoothie. She loves it, but she doesn't realize that it's packed with vegetables. Yeah. So I'm all into the smoothies, especially, you know, when you're taste testing cake all day. You need to balance it out with a like a spirulina spinach smoothie. Yeah. What do you think she's gonna say when she realizes she's drinking vegetables? She's just gonna stop. She's yeah. I mean, it, she's just gonna stop, and it's gonna be really sad. But I, I love the smoothies <laughs> recipes. Um, you also have a, a, a traditional pizza night, and you know you could be some some authors may position as like cute pizza night, blah blah blah. But you're like <laughs> we watch TV. It was like that recipe is more about the TV than the actual recipe, which and the recipe is great. And you're like, you watch things outside of like Curb Your Enthusiasm and House Hunters. You like stretch yourself. So let's talk, take us to pizza night this past summer. What were you, what were you screening? Oh, good. I I was so nervous you were going to ask me about pizza night last Friday when we made a frozen pizza and I (laughs) took off all the cheese since I'm currently off dairy for my seven month old who has sensitivities. But let's talk about the summer. Let's talk about the summer before that. Oh my gosh. Summer produce is so Good. I just pile yeah. on all the veggies. Um, we have our pizza oven, which I'm still trying to 
figure out how to use. It's such a learning curve. Is it one of? Did you have it built for you, or is it? Yep, yep. It's it. Um, it's uh, for No Bravo. Okay. And um, her name is Friday. She says Friday <laughs> on it, and Love. it really is a learning curve. I mean, if if you're baking a pizza in a conventional oven and your dough consistency is a little bit off, it's okay. It's still going to be fine. But if your dough consistency is a little bit mm-hmm. off with uh, the Forno Bravo, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. So I'm still learning that. But, um, you know, if you put a fresh Minnesota ear of corn on your yep. pizza, fresh basil, it's all good. Yeah. And um, I agree with you. Pizza at home is not for everyone. But it's a commitment. It's a commitment, but I'm sure you'll get your shaping down and it'll it'll actually look like pizza eventually. I want to know what you watched. What was the, what were you screening this summer? Mm, um, mm, Anything summer. like I mean, are we are we talking about French New Wave? Are we talking? I mean, what are we are we talking? No, it's like rom coms on Netflix. Yeah, spring. <laughs> yeah, Palm Springs and stuff like that. Um, Palm Springs. Yeah, that was good. That was a good one. I'll tell you that now that Bernie stays up later, we watch all the princess movies, um, <laughs> all the Disney princess movies, a lot of Bluey. Oh my gosh, lots of Bluey. I love Bluey. Bluey's so great. My, ne- my niece and nephew watched Bluey. Did you watch the '90s episode where they go back to the '90s? It's really good. No, but now I have. It's oh my- so cute. Um, the Sleepy Time episode. Have you seen that one? I only have nieces and nephews, not children, so I haven't delved into the catalog that much. I mean, that one's good. It's a good I one. would watch that without my kids. It'll bring <laughs> you great. to tears. It's yeah. a great show. Um, let's talk about hot dogs. You are like cool. <laughs> hot dog fam. You are hot dog pilled. You love hot dogs. I love hot dogs. I, well, that's I, why I want to have a bat mitzvah season, so we can just have <gasps> um, pigs in blankets in yes. 50 different kinds. Yeah. Let's talk about your hot dog chop. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call it? Hot dog chop? Hot dog chop salad. Yep. I love yep. this. It really looks really good. So, like, so good. I think that it was born shortly after a Super Bowl party. Yeah. Because Super Bowl is, you know, an excuse to make pigs and blankets. And I had leftover hot dogs and I was staring them down and I really wanted to eat them. But it was, you know, a Tuesday night, no special occasion. And I felt guilty about just eating hot dogs on their own. So I put it on a salad and... And it was still good. You still got the essence of the hot dog. And, and so I chased it up. The croutons are inspired by the Ruby Tuesday croutons. Yeah. You know what I'm I about? love that head note. You, you referenced Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> good Ruby. I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. So I, I My love My stepmom's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Let's go. We can I've go. I've been there. It's a good spot. Kalamazoo's great. Yeah. Great little place. Um, I but, can't, I, I don't remember any specific places that we've been to in Kalamazoo. But, we we but can oh, go into that off mic because I, I have a whole list. I'll send you my Google Doc. Okay. Um, but Ruby Tuesdays, we had one, and I, I definitely went to at the Crossroads Mall. Respect. Of course at the mall, yes. Um, yeah, mall croutons. <laughs> Mall-inspired croutons yeah. with the hot dog. Because, you know, it'd be a missed opportunity, right, if you didn't do that with hot dogs on a salad. Well, anyway. It's a but, really – you've got an avocado ranch, too, because I think that is important. You tie it all together with a good – Homemade ranch, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's like, you know, you take what you can get. You know, if you're not going to grill a piece of chicken or a piece of salmon for your salad and you're just going to chop up a hot dog, you have a little bit more bandwidth left over to make the homemade ranch. And so a lot it. of this book was about balance. It was, you know, you can buy the pre-shredded cheese. That's okay. But please get the good tahini or yeah. but please make your salad dressings because that does make a huge difference. It does. I, I, I still don't understand bottled ranch. I've never, I mean, Ken's well, is pretty good. Marzetti. 
No, let's go there. What's Mar- good. Marzetti Mar- Ranch? Um, that was big in the 90s. Yeah. It's refrigerated. Marzetti. Yeah, I think there's yogurt in it, so it's maybe a little healthier. <laughs> I mean, HV, I won't even say the name fully. HV Ranch, that shit is not ranch. We don't have to talk about no, it. No, we don't it's have to talk about HV. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I think Ken's is good, but, but... I like Ken's, yeah. Ken's is solid, but, but you make ranch... And ranch is an upper Midwest, Midwest, like, staple. It runs through (laughs) my veins now that I've officially been in the upper Midwest for almost 10 years. Yeah. Yes. It's, uh, uh, where do you fall on ranch on pizza? Thank you for asking this all the time. I love it so much. I have ranch, I think, at least on one, maybe on two pizzas in Home is Where the Eggs Are. Because there's the ham and potato pizza, which gets finished with ranch. Yep. And then there's the veggie pizza, which... I uh, love to dip in ranch. It's, mm, it's so good. Yeah, anyone who's listening to this show it. knows we're pro ranch and pizza. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm quoting you. My one rule about toast when I break my ro- one rule about toast, which I break all the time because I love my cute red toaster, is that bread shouldn't be toasted at all. It should actually be fried. Okay, let's discuss. It makes it. One million trillion zillion times better when you get a generous coating of oil in your skillet. I mean, make sure that it's completely covered in your skillet. And then if you have one of those nifty grilled cheese weights, you can weigh it down. So the bread makes full contact with the pan and then you or, or you could just use your hand and smush it around and then flip it and then smush it around again. And then it lightly fries the edges. The inside is still soft, so you get multiple textures. You get more flavor from the oil. You have different oils to choose from. I mean, if I'm doing a sweet toast, I'll do coconut oil, savory olive oil, butter, of course. And you really can bring old, bad, stale bread back to life with it. Notes of donut. That's what I'm talking about. Permission to fry bread. I'm hearing it. I think it's so smart. I think it's definitely something that we don't think about. But we obviously love grilled cheese, which is like exactly. fried bread. Yeah. It's just open-faced grilled cheese. I mean, yeah. making toast like that makes toast feel like more of a little celebration or more of a full meal. Not yeah. not these cop-out like, oh, I'll just make a piece of toast. Like, no, no you own that. Make a piece <laughs> of toast. No, it's I love it. So now that you're a Jewish mother, you now have a uh, a chicken soup practice. Yes. I mean, so let's. I, well, this is clearly <clears throat> you've thought about having a, a chicken soup practice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up eating chicken soup and I loved it. Um, and when my kids were born... I just realized this needs to be part of their childhood, (laughs) obviously. So Sundays during nap time, um, typically during nap time on a weekend, that's my workout time. But Sundays are my workout rest day. So Mm -hmm. I make a homemade stock and I make homemade noodles and usually cut them into stars. Although my star cookie cutter walked off (laughs) to go play with Play-Doh the other day. Um, (laughs) And I, you know, this book, is about making a house a home, right? And to me, a lot of that comes from the smells. And if Bernie wakes up from her nap and the first thing that she smells is chicken soup, homemade in the kitchen, I mean, I'll feel like I've done my job as a parent. It it just brings the coziest energy into the house. And we have already so many great memories of eating chicken soup and taste testing chicken soup together. That must be fun to do the the taste testing with everybody. Oh, it's so much fun. We just sit on the floor in the kitchen and, and I try to feed her this vocabulary of is it salty enough? Does it need more acid? <laughs> yeah. Does it need to simmer longer? Can you taste all the flavors? And she's getting there. 
I love it. So your husband's a fifth generation farmer. Mm-hmm. And he, is he still a farmer now? Does that what is that what he does? He's still a farmer now. Yep, he's preparing for the sugar beet harvest I was gonna as ask. we speak. So he's not in here in New York. He's preparing for the harvest. Nope, he's preparing for the harvest. It starts every year on October 1st. Yeah. It's uh, a really exciting time of year because it goes for 24 hours. Yeah. And um, there are, are sugar beets just scattered throughout the roads. Wow. Uh, and it's very whimsical. A lot of the community pitches in to help out with the efforts. Um, and it's a very special time. I had never seen anything like it before I met him and before moving out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know what a sugar beet was when I met him. I, I kind of don't know right now. I mean, I know what a beet salad is. I've, I've lived in the 90s. I want to know what are you are you cooking with these or is this for fuel? Nope. A sugar beet is white. It's a big white root vegetable, and they can get to be. Um, oh, this is radio. I'm, I'm holding my hands. Yeah. bigger, bigger than Larger bigger than, than a head. A helmet of a yep. football yep. player. Um, and they get processed into table sugar, so chemically the same as sugar cane. Mm-hmm. Um, but due to the climate and the moist environment um, in the Red River Valley. It, it sugar beets thrive there, and it's a similar climate to Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. So you know, um, people think Belgian beer requires sugar beets for it, but it's really that's what they have. That's, Interesting. That's the sugar that they grow. How do you uh, tap into your local um, agricultural product and and do a recipe? Is there is there a recipe that tips to the sugar beet or anything you? Well, so when you taste sugar beet sugar, it tastes exactly the same as cane mm-hmm. sugar. Um, I have gone out to the field and pulled some beets and shredded them up. I made a sugar beet latke a few years ago. Oh, fun. My dad and I made a carrot cake, but some of the carrots for sugar beets. Really, there's a reason that they're just used for sugar, though. It's because when you taste it, it really just feels like you're eating kind of a bland potato that's been sprinkled with sugar. It's, yeah. it's very sweet. There isn't a whole lot of actual right. flavor right. there, though. It's more of like one of those agricultural products that we we don't quite recognize in exactly. the food world. Yeah, and there's there's reason. I mean, you you wouldn't want to eat it in right. a goat cheese salad. <laughs> no, but it's so important to our having, you know, uh, having a sugar beet, you know, I would say agri- like having a sugar beet um, based in America is mm-hmm. is cool. Like it's mm-hmm. it's nice that there's domestic sugar. You know, we're not relying 100%. necessarily on bringing because of global warming and yep. because of well, and also in in Hawaii, um, we we might have to fact check this, but their sugarcane production was shut down recently. Yeah, um, and in a lot of the warmer climates. Um, or a lot of the warmer climates where they grow sugarcane is is outside of the U.S. Yeah. Um, so uh, Minnesota, I was just in a sugar beet farming town in Colorado. Um, the Pacific Northwest has some sugar beets. Um, Wait, you're like visiting other sugar beet parts of the world um, or country? Not, not specifically to see sugar beets. <laughs> you're not on like sugar beet one, tour. You've seen a lot of them. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. But I just, you know, from... Living on a beet farm, you pick up these tidbits and yeah. stick out. So you're like, brain. you land at Denver Airport and you're like, take me to the sugar beet farm. <laughs> Never. <Okay. laughs> no, because actually the processing of sugar beets is this very strong smell. Yeah. That is, um, it's it's kind of shocking when you smell it for the first time. By now I'm used to it, but it's it's not a smell that people seek out. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, to me, it's now nostalgic. It's and part it, of. It's home. Yeah, But absolutely. it is. It, yeah. No. I, are we thinking cheese? Are we thinking dog food? Are we thinking turpentine? Are we thinking a little bit of funky cheese? Yeah. 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 
I'm being really nice. No, no, it, it, <laughs> I've, I've definitely, you know, you go through a turkey factory if you're like in Virginia. It's, you know, it's nothing smell. like that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like you're. But it's it's unique. Yeah. Come on out. Come on out to the I farm. I would love to. I, I, they process I, them throughout the year, so you can you can smell the smell. Oh, anytime. cool. Because I was going to ask you. Let's talk about harvest because yeah. that's a cool like. <clears throat> How long does the harvest last? It starts in October 1st. Yep, starts on October 1st. And the concept of that is giving them enough time for the sugar beets to grow and develop their sugars. But then they've got to get them out of the ground before the first snow falls, which yeah. could be October 5th is what we've gotten snowstorms then. But ideally, in, in a perfect scenario, um, depending on how big your farm is, the beets might be done. You might be done pulling them um, within a couple of weeks. Yeah, But there's... It has to be the right temperature. So if it's too cold, if it's too hot, if it's raining too much, the mm-hmm. sugar beet plant shuts down. Um, but so once they harvest them, they bring them to these huge piles around town. They look, they're mm-hmm. like pyramids of sugar beets and they pipe in cold air to yep. cool them down, to store them. And then when it gets cold in the region, you know, we know that they're preserved. And then throughout the year, they process yeah, that's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that because I think it's something we don't really talk about a lot, like real industrial agriculture. Um, and it's interesting that like your husband is working 24 hours a day. What, what are you are you helping? Are you making some food for the harvest? I make the farm lunches now officially. I took over the farm lunch making reins from my mother-in-law, Roxanne, yeah. who um, um, she, she still makes a lot of farm lunches. Um, but for harvest, I uh, have started putting together lunches and I've come to terms with the fact that a harvest lunch is not the place to use really cute bento boxes. Yeah. Um, They're like, give me the food as fast as possible. Give me meat. Make it in a very sturdy container because it's going to get tossed around a tractor. So it just has to be a lot of food. But I do sneak in some like turmeric ginger shots and wellness dust. Oh, smart. Like like real like giving energy for the harvest. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. nice. I try try to make it so that Nick doesn't get sick immediately the day after harvest. Because it happens every year because he's just so tired. So tired. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yogurt. And mac in mac and cheese. Oh yeah, like I love this move because it's it's kind of not written about a lot, but it makes a ton, ton of sense. So, do you know the yogurt pasta and genius recipes? Uh, Diane Kochalas, and I hope I'm not botching that mm-hmm. name. I fell in love with that recipe years ago, the first time I made it, and I just it truly is genius. It's mm-hmm. so for anybody who doesn't know, you toss pepper dill with yogurt and the pasta water and some cheese, and then you cover it with caramelized onions. And so I had been making that recipe for a long time, and I started doing a version of that um, that was more mac and cheese centric for Bernie because I was like. I was one of those moms. I was like, I'm never giving my child boxed mac and cheese. <laughs> and so I came up with this. Ask me how many times I, I mean, made boxed mac and cheese last week. It's it was truly one of God's greatest foods. <laughs> I mean, Kraft or Bonza, I'm not really particular. Oh, I like the Bonza one. It's really good, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So good. Bonza solid. And the Trader Joe's one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Carrie Diamond was just telling me that Gal Gadot has a boxed mac and cheese Oh, now. cool. I'll make sure to check that out. I, I feel uh, I don't think about her as a uh, food person, so. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Carrie's awesome, by the way. Shout out to Cherry Bomb. What a great podcast. You know, I was just there, yeah. You're I just love there. I love, I love Carrie's. She's a great interviewer. She's make so sure to wonderful. check that out. I love that show. Straight talk right here. Straight talk. What makes a great Hallmark Christmas movie? You, t- you write about your love of these films, and I, I love these films as well. CCB, Candace Cameron Bure. Yeah, yeah. 
DJ. DJ. She 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 does like whole like episodes together that maybe have a thinner plot than some of the Oscars fair that we're used to. What's a plot? <laughs> I'm here for the Christmas decorations, for the Christmas cookies, and for the heart wrenching romance plot lines. Usually around a donut shop or a cupcake shop. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, no, and one of my favorite ones is where um the secret that unlocks all of this holiday specialness is um vanilla extract in the cookies. Oh right. They're like, that's what they're that's mm-hmm. what's in the cookies, vanilla yeah, extract. Yeah, that's can what you makes the holiday imagine? Season. Wow. <laughs> now I have to ask, have you been offered a role in a Hallmark movie? <laughs> Wait, are we putting this out there now? Uh, that is exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, I will say, when Rhee had her role in yeah. Food Network's scripted movie, I loved it so yeah. much. And yeah, I will say it. I would have so much fun doing something like that. Of course, I can't act, which would be Why can't an you issue. can act? Absolutely not. Really? No, I can't lie. I can't act. You have like 5,000 hours of television. Yeah, but... That's making food and, sure. and explain. That's, that's okay. more like instructional, and I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. But the problem is, if yeah, if, if ever I have to lie, well, <laughs> in any situation, I, I can't do it. Makes sense. So I guess it has to be methods. So you'll have to actually work at a cupcake shop for like. And maybe six months. Bernie's will become a cupcake exactly, shop. Exactly. We, we like have method. a set. We have a hey Hallmark. We have a set. <laughs> I'll waive the location fees. <laughs> I mean, it makes too much sense to pass up. I have to say I live in the Hudson Valley, and there's a town near where I live called Goshen. They film a lot of Hallmark movies there. I'm so jealous. Do you go and watch? I've creeped in and, and seen some of the trucks. I, I've never actually seen a can I haven't had a Candace sighting yet. It must be such a cute town. It's really cute. And then they do it up for the holidays, so it's definitely there. But, Molly, back to Hallmark. I want to know... Hypothetically, because I say you can't lie and you, you can't act, but I think you can. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> Thank you. So what's the plot then? Like, what's the Molly Yay plot? Um, there has to be a love interest. Your husband will play it, so we'll make it a little <laughs> more real for that. Or we can have someone else play it. It can be acting. But what's the plot? Um, okay, I'm seeing a trombone choir because trombone choirs play the best Christmas music. Nick plays the trombone. Oh, he's, so he's like the stud. He's like the main yeah, guy. Yeah, so he plays the... The trombone choir Christmas music at this restaurant, we'll call it Ernie's. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ernie's specializes in gingerbread houses, gingerbread replicas of farms. And um, I don't know, maybe I just am carrying a huge gingerbread house and I trip and I fall at his feet and it's all broken and, and I cry and then he helps me put it back together. I like that. It's great, and, and you're, you're, but you're about to lose Ernie's too. Like there's like a debt collector. Oh yeah, there ha- yeah. So there has to be financial turmoil. That's yes. another key part of losing a, a family movie. heirloom or heritage yep. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has mm-hmm. to be part of it, right? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so let's get to the end of the end of the movie. Um, okay. You guys are um, fall madly in love. You're the, and then yeah. the secret was vanilla. <laughs> the secret was vanilla, <laughs> and you have that single kiss, and the movie's over. The single smooch done. <laughs> All right, I want to ask you this. And Give this, us the Oscar, right? I think you're going to get some award <laughs> when you actually film this this movie that will be aired in holidays 2024. Most outrageous movie. I love it. Uh, how about how about how about most Jewish uh, <laughs> star of a Christmas movie? 
No, that's, that, I'm in, sure that's happened. They've before. thrown in some Jewish plot lines. I've been happy. I'm a I'm Jewish as well, and I, I I like to see a little Hanukkah. That's not just <laughs> you like, like it. I like really? that it's more Do than you? just like latka making scene. There's like is, a, which one is more than the latka making? I don't know. Scene? I'm thinking that maybe there was like a Jewish. Yeah, there was menorah. like a blue dress, and there was a Jewish menorah. Yeah, there was a menorah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Hallmark. You know, they're like 88 minutes, so you have to like move along on the plot. Um, Midwestern food. I want to know. I think you've really articulated it well in your book because it's not just, you know, Scandinavian or Germanic food. There's, it's a multicultural place. It's a, it doesn't necessarily live in, it's not a monolith. So, like, let, I'd love to get your take. I know we were just like clowning a little bit, but let's go like a little serious. Like, what's your, what is Midwestern food to you? It starts with the ingredients as well as the very extreme climate. Um, So our ingredients are amazing when they grow. Our wild rice, um, a lot of potatoes. Um, If you go a little further out from where we live, there is a lot of meat and and Mm -hmm. such. Um, And then it gets to literally 40 degrees below zero where they advise you not to go outside. Um, Hence casseroles or as we say hot Hot dish right yeah yeah so there's a lot of hot dish a lot of soup a lot of things from church cookbooks um and a lot of vegetableist salads because in the winter um what vegetables do you have to make a good salad so cookie salad snicker salad um and then of course i'd be remiss not to talk about all of the amazing indigenous cuisine that's in the area yeah sean sherman he just opened up his incredible restaurant in Minneapolis, which showcases so many of the beautiful native ingredients yeah. to the Midwest. Um, and it, uh, there is a large population, um, Germans from Russia. That's a, a large population with a very rich food culture mm-hmm. um, that brought over things like Nefla soup, Dakota style Kuchen. Um, there's Lots of Scandinavian descendants, of course, if we, as we've discussed. So lots of lefse, krumkaka, um, uh, kransakaka, all, all of the kakas. That's a lot of kakas. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of kakas. Yeah. It's a lot of kakta kaktas. Oh, <laughs> did we just think of something? <laughs> I think it's definitely part of this plot line for the, for the movie. We're going to talk about all the kafkas. Uh, Kafka, actually, that's, a, that's an opera. Kafka kaka? Um, <laughs> but no, it, it uh, a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, food you want to eat when it's super cold and it's food you want to gobble up during our short summers like rhubarb mm-hmm. um, when we have these fresh things and then lots of pickles and preserved food um, blood sausage is yeah. uh, making Norwegian style blood sausage was something that I made with Nick's family shortly after we got married and that was a memory I will never forget because um, it looked like red velvet cake batter yeah but it's in <laughs> a bucket on the floor and it's not that yeah no but um, uh, there, there are so many of course, obviously, farm-inspired recipes because the blood sausage was what they made in the winter mm-hmm. um, to preserve. Don't let anything go to waste, and preserve that ingredient from the pig, um, so that you can eat in the dead of winter. Um, and of course, there's so much wheat out there as well. Um, Nick grows wheat, and oh, okay. it's high protein, so a lot of it gets shipped off to the Bronx for bagels, which was very wild for me. Have to you been learn. to the factory? Um, to the wheat plant, I I drive by it all the time. I've never actually been inside. Yeah. No, yeah. but it smells so delicious when they're harvesting. It's cool it because it smells like 
a bakery. It smells mm. like pizza. I have to ask you um, another Hollywood question. Are you are you into Little House on the Prairie? Do you watch the show? A hundred percent. Okay, great. Yes, so I love Laura. Are you a Laura? St- I was thinking Mary or Carrie. I'm more. <laughs> I like Carrie when she grew up. She was actually had a lot of dimension to her. I actually okay. So I watched it with Bernie. We watched the first few seasons, and then um, before we got to the later seasons, Bernie discovered Disney princesses. So I it, haven't gotten to older Carrie. You haven't yet. gotten to older Carrie. No, no Nellie. Probably the performance of the <laughs> series. Nelly. God, Nellie. Oh, but but also so great. <laughs> so great, Harriet. I have to say too, um, just. Just owning her, living her truth, truly living her truth. <laughs> Absolutely, no, that's such a good show. Yeah, where did we just um, uh, what's what's the Maple Grove? Uh, Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove, Minnesota. Yeah, we yeah. just we just drove by Walnut Grove the other day. But it's funny how Walnut Grove kind of looks like Modesto, California. <laughs> <laughs> if you notice, shh, nineteen seventy eight Hollywood, right there. <laughs> Like and the haircuts are clearly mm, maybe from 77. Yeah, the seventies braids are so great. I love it. I mean, those girls would be the hippest girls in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, right. Like right now, or at least when I was in Brooklyn, they would have been the hippest. I mean, they're kind of the band Hame. I mean, it's kind of the same. Oh my gosh! What? Yeah. What a great connection. There we go. Molly, we're doing this new thing on the Taste Podcast. Let's talk about the last recipe in your book. It's the very last recipe that appears. I've written several cookbooks, and I have to say my last recipe is typically not my favorite, though in one book that I've written it was one of my favorites, but usually it's kind of the one. So your last recipe is rhubarb shrub. So let's give rhubarb shrub some love. I love that you do this um, because that was intentional. I wanted to end on a sweet note. I love it. a little bit sour, um, and it embodies the Midwest because you are not a Minnesotan if you don't have rhubarb either in your yard or frozen in your freezer. Molly, we ask all guests on the Taste Podcast if there is a dream food book or cookbook project that you could work on without the burden of time or budget, what would that book be? I can't say I'm already working on it. I mean, not I'm not formally working on it. I haven't convinced my publisher yet, um, but it's been an idea that I've been marinating on for years. Interesting. Um, Tease it. Say it. It. Say it and it'll become true. It's so specific. I will tell you, okay. this is something that everybody celebrates, and it has not truly, I don't think, been turned on its head ever. You mean the day when the shamrock shakes arrive at McDonald's? <laughs> Keep guessing. Okay. I don't want to guess, and I also don't want to spoil a good a good surprise, because I know when you when you do that book, you'll put it out I, there. I will say, I will say, I am really hoping that my friends from music school haven't forgotten about me by oh. then. So that there's I love that it. Element. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Matt, thank you so much. This was so much fun. So much fun. Okay, Eliza Barbanel, we are back with three things. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, we just had our edit meeting. We were going over some stuff. We were doing some goss. We were doing talking about our our December edit schedule. What else was it? What else did we talk about in our edit meeting? Um, I don't know. We just did it. And somehow my mind is blank (laughs) 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 talking about everything we need to do before the end of the year, I guess. Yeah. We're recording this in, uh, 
in late October, mid October, and and we've got a lot of plans for that for the end of the year. But right now, we're talking about our three things. What's your first thing right now? My first thing is something that has changed my life recently at the risk of over-exaggerating, um, which is that I now have the ability to make s'mores whenever I want um, because I move somewhere that has a fire pit in the backyard. Wait, stop. You have a fi- First off, I thought you were going to say you were you actually got the s'mores Pop-Tarts for the first time, and that's how you're going to oh, do it. Oh, no, I'm a brown sugar Pop-Tarts girly for sure. Yeah. So I'm talking about old-fashioned s'mores. Um, how, do you like s'mores? I don't. Um, here's why. I think Hershey's chocolate is gross, and sorry, Hershey's. <laughs> I like Reese's better. Um, that's my brand of choice. Second, a friend of a friend one time told me this story that's insane. You asked, so I'm going to tell. He, this is like probably when I was in college, but this was a story when he was in high school. He um, was at a campfire um, with a bunch of friends. They were making s'mores. And one of the friends thought it'd be funny to flip the burning marshmallow at mm-hmm. them. So they that happened, it actually went like it stuck to them and unfortunately here's and i always tell friends this when i'm when we're doing s'mores don't do what this guy did a burning s'more on your body do not smash it and rub it out because what happens is you get third degree burns all over your body from molten sugar and you're scarred for life (laughs) friend of a friend I, i don't think i would ever do that but i appreciate the warning to myself and to anyone that might be listening to this. I think my reason for bringing this up is that I was talking to my friends about this and I realized that not everybody has a good approach for making s'mores. And so I wanted to share my technique, which is how you can get a perfectly melty chocolate s'more because you don't like a s'more that has like that hard block of chocolate. You know, it's not very satisfying. So if you have Mm -hmm, a fire pit that has um, kind of a a lip around the side of it, or maybe there's a rock that's close by, what I like to do is pre-toast my graham crackers with my chocolate square on it while I'm toasting the marshmallow so that by the time the marshmallow is done, the chocolate has already started to melt. It's become nice and warm. And then that's how you get your perfectly gooey s'more. So let me ask you this. Do you always go with Hershey's or do you actually substitute like, are you going Mass Brothers, Mm. possibly canceled Mass Brothers? (laughs) Like, are you going like, are you going some other kind of nice like Raku? Um, I asked for Hershey's. My friend brought the Hershey's that have been like marketed to women because that was the only kind <laughs> that they could find. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> say, like Hershey's. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, which was stupid. But but one of my friends brought cookies from Bombay, which is a really good Vietnamese bakery in Brooklyn and Carroll Gardens. And we did end up using one of those cookies instead of one of the graham crackers. So now I am starting to think about um, what I will be introducing into my s'mores that is not just like the classic Hershey's. But for now, I'm keeping it pretty simple, I would say. Excellent. Yeah. What's your first thing? Can't wait. Well, I wanted to call out, do you know, have you heard of Michael's? Do you know about Michael's? Like the craft store? The restaurant Michael's? Yeah. (laughs) No. So that's funny. Not the craft store. The one in the East Village. No, not the one in the East Village, the one on West 55th Street. Okay, so here's my thing. Michael's used to be this media mecca. It was like where everyone in the publishing industry and book publishing and magazines went for breakfast and lunch. 
It's run by Michael McCarty. He runs a twin restaurant in Santa Monica, where you are from. So you are you must be familiar with Michael's in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. I I don't can't remember when I've been, but <laughs> you're like I don't subscribe to Michael's in Santa Monica. I went recently. So Michael's is this place that it's like definitely, definitely, definitely not been a hot restaurant for like 15 years since like basically since Condé Nast moved from Madison to four times square before they moved all the way downtown. It hasn't been that big of a spot, but for some reason, um, I booked a breakfast there with a friend and I love it. I haven't been in years, but I love it. What do you like to get? Well, it's this vibe. What do I like to get? I like to get the yeah. vibe. That's what I like <laughs> to get. Um, I used to do a lot of breakfast meetings down at ABCV, and I loved going there in the morning. And I love, you know, having coffee and some eggs with a friend or with a colleague or with somebody I'm talking to some work about. Um, but, like, let me just set the scene a little bit. Please. So it's, like, wall-to-wall carpet. There's white walls and, like, art from, like, the 70s and 80s. There's those chrome, those Brewer Cesca chairs, those Brewer Cesca chairs are classic. And it has like Hamptons magazine, like stacks of Hamptons magazines in the waiting area. Um, It feels a little like Four Seasons pre takeover. Um, And it's, of course, extremely overpriced, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter. You're paying for the Cesca chairs. You're paying for the Seska chairs. You're and you're also paying for having Michael McCarty roll through. Now, I I want to have Michael McCarty on the on the show. Michael McCarty is a real really important figure in American gastronomy and certainly brought California cuisine to the masses um, as a as like a celebrity chef back in the '90s. Um, that's kind of a very reductive short bio of Michael McCarty, but um, he's there every other week, according to New York Magazine. I read a, I read a little thing about it. So he's like there, he's like splits time between Santa Monica and New York. And when he's there, he's work in the dining room, mm. which I think is cool. I love it. Um, so what, I ordered an omelet. Um, it happened to be the day after Keith McNally's little dust up with James Corden. I hope we never have to talk about that again. And hopefully this is old news by the time you're listening to this. I was going to say, you told me, uh, first of all, I would never talk about this, but you said you didn't want to talk about it and now you're bringing it up. So clearly you do want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. What is your next My thing? My next thing, that's a good question. My next thing is actually um, a recipe for something I've been making a lot at home these days, which is okonomiyaki. And specifically, I've been doing a recipe that Mira Soda has in her cookbook East, which I like a lot. Um And my pitch for it is basically that cabbage never goes bad. And if you Mm. need to feed yourself at the last minute, which I have been on a lot of deadlines these days and lunch has been an afterthought and then it becomes very essential when I realize how hungry I am. Okonomiyaki is kind of like the best way I've been feeding myself in a short period of time. So let me ask you about how you're making your okonomiyaki now, what's the bind that you use? Are you using um, a batter or using just eggs? I'm doing a batter with eggs and flour. Um, and then I add scallions and cabbage. And then if I have kimchi or sometimes like leftover, I don't know, miscellaneous onions or um, mushrooms, so to speak, I just kind of toss those in as well. 
Do you add kupi or any kind of soy sauce? Definitely kupi. I would say the okonomiyaki is definitely a vehicle for me to be eating kupi mayo. So it has to make an appearance. And then for Mira's recipe, she has you making an okonomiyaki sauce that's basically um, ketchup and Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. But, yo, um, definitely. You know, you could use other sauces. I love that combination. It that reminds me of like a curry, like a Japanese curry sauce, like when you mix Worcestershire and, and ketchup. Yes, yeah. Nice. It's very um soul satisfying and also has yeah. vegetables. So win-win. It's cool. Okonomiyaki, Craig Mond and I talked about it on our podcast, on our episode, and he reminded me, so Osaka is a lot of a lot of folks I guess say Osaka is one of the homes of Konomiyaki. But he reminded me that um, Hiroshima is a is is definitely has its own style of okonomiyaki as well, and there's got to be also more regional versions of okonomiyaki in Japan. Right, and my understanding is that okonomiyaki means as you like it. So really, there's kind of infinite permutations of this that can exist out there. I'm sure. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I love that one. What's your second thing? Another New York restaurant I ended up going to, and and I've mentioned it in a few episodes, um, the Claudia Fleming episode, I mentioned it, um, is Lisey or Lise. I guess, I guess phonetically on the website is Lise, which I think is the more er French way of pronouncing it. It is a pastry boutique from the chef Unji Lee in the Flatiron. And let me tell you, Eliza, it is very cool. I've been wanting to go. Tell me. Tell me about what you ate, because every time I go and look on their Instagram, I get overwhelmed with the choices. I ate all the pastries, <laughs> literally. No, I, I I did not get the tasting. Um, there was a little mix-up with my reservation, and I, I was actually dining a la carte. But you can get a four-course tasting, which is totally fine, except t- the a la carte is the only way you can get the corn. The corn, which is what everyone's talking about. So I did not try the corn. Do you think they're going to have the corn now that it's getting out of corn season? <laughs> I feel the corn is not going to go out of season at that place, but though I think it actually may go out of season. And to remind um, listeners, the corn is um, the chef, uh, chef Lee's version of um, a corn cob, but it's like a corn custard um, or corn flavored pastry. Um, and it's, it's, Delicious, uh, seemingly. I, I did not try it, but what I did try were uh, the signature Lise cake, which um, was so amazing. It was Korean um, style toasted brown rice mousse with caramel, um, with praline, and it, it was kind of a sable, a pecan sable. I guess what they say on the website. So that's like the texture of the of the cake part. Really nice. I need to go. It sounds it sounds great. My my magazine co editor Tanya and I, who's on the podcast recently. I've been talking about going together, so we have to go. Absolutely. Um, a little bit about Unji Lee. She just came out with a cookbook. Um, she worked for years um, with Ducasse at Le Maurice in Paris, and she worked at Junchik down in Tribeca for five years. And she was very famous there um, for some of these very these highly structured conceptual desserts. Um, and just somebody, somebody who I think – Everyone's talking about in New York right now. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that. That's a great second thing. Let me ask you one thing. Kuganaman, what do you fall on that pastry? Do you like it? Do you do you seek it out? Oh, I do. I do like it. I feel like it's hard to find it in some places. Um, and I've actually had a savory aman as well. I'm trying to remember where I've had that. But um, any yeah. laminated pastry is good by me, I would say. 
I usually fall into that territory. I thought hers was extremely flaky and the texture was like next level, but there was a lot of air in it. And I don't know, um, less butter, more air was her vibe. Very light Kukinaman. I wasn't a huge fan. Um, not a criticism. It was just more my flavor. But I wanted to ask you if you were a fan of that pastry. I'm a fan. I definitely, I feel like I want butter and air. I don't know if I, if I want a trade-off, but maybe that's just me being greedy. Yeah. No, you're not being greedy. You're being smart. What's your next one? My final thing is just that we've been talking about coffee a little bit um, on the podcast. We talked about iced coffee supremacy earlier in the year. So I just want to update you and everyone that I'm officially in my warm <laughs> coffee era. <laughs> and my warm coffee order is a, a whole milk Cortado, um, which is just funny because I live in Brooklyn and I, I guess I'm presenting as somebody that would order oat milk. And so whenever I order whole milk, I have this whole moment with the barista where they say, Oh, oat milk. And I say, no, whole milk, because, um, I used to be barista myself, and I think that especially in a smaller package, you really want that whole milk to be frothing and delicious. So that's that's mine, and I guess I'm curious um, where you're netting in on the hot or cold coffee right now. I'm usually all mm-hmm. hot, so I, I go hot year-round. Um, I have ice like once in a while, typically like on a road trip, if I am just want to chug and drive. I didn't know this about you. Where You were a barista. Where did you work? <laughs> I was a barista um, when I was in college. I went to Northwestern, so I was uh, at a coffee shop in Evanston, which is the suburb of Chicago where Northwestern is. Uh, it was called Unicorn Cafe. It is no longer in business. Um, it was not like a third wave kind of coffee mm. shop. We had Collectivo, which is a great um, Milwaukee-based coffee yeah. roaster. Definitely learned how to steam milk. Um, but I was not doing pour over or anything like that, just to be clear. Yeah. Well, I mean, pour over that's, that's almost like beyond a wave. That's just like very few people do pour over, um, at the, on the cafe level. But do you, did you ever get into latte art? Um, yeah, I could do a pretty good rosette. I think that was like the extent of my ability. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk to you about is, is the idea of, milk versus oat milk, like cow milk versus oat milk, because I'm with you. I used to always order the Cortado with a, with a milk, with like a cow milk. And it was part of the, um, experience, right. For, for I'm, I'm definitely less of a espresso drink drinker though. Recently I've kind of fallen into this habit of the oat milk latte. I just like the flavor of oat milk. Is oat milk getting better? Maybe. I think so. I, you know, I'm, pro oat milk, except for when I'm drinking a hot cortado and then I want it to be whole milk. And I'm, you know, just to be clear, like I will have Greek yogurt for breakfast and then all milk in my coffee. It's not that I'm abstaining completely from dairy. It's just that I, there are certain preparations that I prefer it in. Um, so that is where I'm at, but it is interesting. There are some coffee shops in New York right now. Um, like Abrasso, for example, in East village where they only have oat milk I'm sorry, they only have whole milk as an mm-hmm. option. They will not offer any alt milk. So I think right now we're just kind of in an interesting moment in general in terms of what options are available to coffee drinkers in the city. Yeah. I wonder if there'll be a reality where there is no dairy in a coffee shop where it's only a vegan coffee shop. I think there are some coffee shops that probably offer that, but I don't see that ever being widespread, I would say. Yeah, it would be quite the statement. I, I feel like there is a future where it's plant-based coffee and that's like the reason they exist. Um, 
I'm happy you brought up coffee. It's always nice to talk about coffee with you. <laughs> yeah, especially because I operate <laughs> from like a low knowledge, high um, dependency perspective, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, you, you you got your opinions about coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's your third thing? My last thing is not food related. The NBA is back, baby. I'm taking this this time to actually talk about basketball. <laughs> I know you're shaking your head. And yeah, it's it's really if you're at this point in the podcast, you're you're kind of you're you're down down to clown with us. And I have to just say, I have uh, Jokic on my my fantasy team, so I'm a Denver Nuggets fan all of a sudden. But I have to say, the Brooklyn Nets are going to have a great season. Yeah, I'm sorry that I can't really talk about basketball with you, but that's not really my job at Taste in general. But I would say I I have friends that are that are Sixers fans that I'm really um feeling for right now. So you know. Oh man, Sixers! I think they're gonna have a great season. James Harden is looking very trim and very like lots of points coming from James Harden mm-hmm. this year. But I'm thinking it's gonna be Milwaukee one, Brooklyn two. That's just my prediction. Okay. Basketball minute here. Do you um do you bet on it or no? Do I gamble? I do gamble from time to time. The apps in New York State and New Jersey allow me to do that legally, so I'm not being irresponsible getting into any kind of kind of trouble. I do. I think betting is fun. Um, it's but it's fully for amusement only. I I, I have no like inside information. I, I don't think it's a good great way great way to make money, to invest in your future. But I do bet. It reminds me of, I saw this video. I think this was fantasy football, actually. This guy who lost his fantasy pool last year and his um, punishment, I guess, or the downside of the bet was that he had to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. And for every pancake he ate, he got an hour off of his sentence. And it was the most frustrating video because he was there for six hours and he'd only eaten you know, like four pancakes or something, um, which I don't think I could eat 24 pancakes, but I I really felt like I could have done better than him seeing this video. That is insane. And were there any other restrictions? It was literally just one hour off per pancake. Could he he use the restroom? I think he could, but he he didn't seem to be that bothered because to me, I think the plan in that situation, and I'm curious what you would do is I feel like you eat as many pancakes as you possibly can in the beginning. Um, And then just take a nap, maybe do some push-ups, like wait. I agree. I think you definitely gorge early and then you kind of take a nap and then you finish out your your sentence of 24 hours. I would say I would try to, meaning gorge, I would actually go as far, I would try to get to 20 and then have four hours left and then maybe just enjoy the ambiance of the Waffle House for those four hours. Do you add syrup and butter and all of that or is that going to be... Um keeping you from reaching your fullest pancake potential. I think you need a little lubrication. You need some way to wash it down and just dry pancakes are pretty inedible. So you need a little <laughs> bit of butter, a little bit of syrup. I'll have to say one thing about uh, Waffle House. I used to work at WWE and a lot of the wrestlers, um, uh, we called them superstars. We could not call them wrestlers. It's for another podcast. But some of the superstars would tell me in confidence that um, – they did not go to the Waffle House because they called it on the road Awful House. Oh, I mean, no disrespect to the superstars, but I I like Waffle House, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm a big fan of Waffle House, and I think it was probably because they oftentimes that was the only, you know, food they were given at the time because they were in a small town in in rural America. Um yeah, I love Waffle House. This is no shot at Waffle House. Thank you for correcting it. <laughs> I can't stand for it. Eliza, 
Great, great catching up. I'll catch you at the Waffle House. Yeah, get me some pancakes. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. 